Well, happy Palm Sunday. I, I did a little research on Palm Sunday. I said, you know, when did, when did Palm Sunday, when did they start, you know, naming this Palm Sunday? I, I was kind of surprised. It wasn't until the 8th century. So it was 800 years after, pretty much after Palm Sunday really uh, existed. And it went through this evolution of things. Uh, they at one time called it Branch Sunday. And they said in Europe, you can't get palms. So they would use branches sometimes in, in these plays that they would do. So they were calling it Branch Sunday for a while. And they called it Flowering Sunday for a while. Blossom Sunday. So it, it had all these different names. And I guess in the 8th century when they started calling it Palm Sunday, it stuck. <laughs> because, you know, there we are thousands of years later. They uh, still still uh, using that. Okay, I, I kind of look at it as um, first praise Jesus Sunday because it was actually the first time in Scripture where there's corporate praise of Jesus, where people had recognized him, you know, as as God, as Lord and Savior. And uh, there was, you know, the great <coughs> exaltation of praise and worship that came about. I don't see any other place in Scripture where that happened you know, first. So uh, we could rename it that if we wanted to. Of course, it wouldn't stick at all. But uh, all right, let's. I want to take you into Luke and, and look through uh, this day first, and uh, then lead into uh, what I'd like to, to to talk about. So in Luke 19, and we're going to start uh, with verse 28. And in verse 28, it says, when he had said this, and and just before 28, there's a lot of red letters because it's the words of Jesus. Uh, He went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet that he sent two of his disciples, saying, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. Okay, it's kind of a strange thing. You know, if we uh, decided to go to a store and just take something out of the store and say, but why are you taking it? Well, the Lord needs it. (laughs) You know, that isn't going to work for us. But uh, Jesus knew better and, uh, and that was fine. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. It's another interesting thing. Okay. A colt, a donkey, baby donkey. Okay, if you put somebody on a donkey for the first time and the donkey's never, ever been ridden, usually the donkey will bolt and and try to get them off. It's like a wild a wild horse would do the same thing where it doesn't really want anybody on its back and they have to be trained in that. But that didn't happen. Okay, so this colt recognized Jesus. I mean, it's a real neat thing how. Animals recognize them sometimes before we do. Okay, on to uh, verse 
36, and as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. On the road. And we think of uh, important people today. We, we say we roll out the, the red carpet for them. And that's basically what people were doing here. The um, disciples first used their clothes to put on the animals so that Jesus could sit on the clothes. And now the rest of the people are laying out the clothes on this path that Jesus is going to be following with this cult. Okay? So we can see here the recognition of somebody that is very, very important. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, as in verse 37, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now this was prophesied long ago. Uh, We go back into the, uh, let's see, where is that? In the book of Zechariah. And I'm going to just take you there for really quickly. Uh, if you want to hold your hand on the page of Luke, if you're there, not to lose that. But go into Zechariah chapter 9. Let's see if I can find it quickly. Okay, Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a a colt, the fall of a donkey. Okay, so this is the rejoicing that was prophesied in Zechariah thousands of years uh, before (coughs) before this actually happened. Okay, let's go back to Luke again. Luke 19. And now we're in verse 39. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why? Because they were calling him God. They didn't believe he was God. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. So the reverse happens. The the Pharisees are rebuking Jesus. Jesus turns around and rebukes the Pharisees. Because if the, if, if the people don't cry out, the stones are going to cry out. So now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. This is over Jerusalem, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes because they did not accept him. Okay, the peace that they could have because you can only get that peace in Jesus. The peace that they could have had because of the rejection, that they're going to see that rejection, that, that it's hidden from their eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side. All right, this is a prophecy that was fulfilled about probably about 40 years after he said this. And level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation, because you did not recognize Jesus. It's very interesting. Uh, I was listening to Derek Prince teach on this at one point, 
how when the Roman army uh, attacked them in 70 AD and actually came and destroyed where, where they were hidden at the time, uh, they had built their wall out of stone, and I guess in between the stone, I think, is there's all kinds of mud and stuff like that to, to build it up. Somehow there was a rumor in, in the Roman army that the, the Jewish people had hidden all their valuables in the wall, like I, probably uh, pearls and diamonds and gold, whatever they might have had that was valuable, they, they were hidden in the walls. Now, I don't know if that was accurate or not, but when the Roman army came to destroy that wall, they actually took every stone apart looking for these things. And there's the prophecy. He said that they would not leave one stone upon another. And that's exactly what happened because the Roman army was was, uh, looking for that. So we see at this time uh, of the first corporate praise, corporate recognition of Jesus. But of course, during Jesus' life on earth, there were many instances when he was recognized as God. So I want to go back to some of these instances and take a look at some of them. So we're going to look at, uh, we're going to stay in Luke for a while, but I want to go back to chapter 5, verse 18. So I'll start actually reading in 17. It says, Now it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. Sometimes... People are so desperate for God that they'll do something as desperate as this. Here you have uh, men who uh, their faith in Jesus must have been so powerful, so mighty, that, that they would actually go up to a rooftop, tear apart the roof, and then lower a paralyzed man into their midst. You think of that, I'm thinking of the people that got there first, you know. You, you got on this line to, somehow to get in to, to see Jesus and to hear him speak. And you were, you're the first one there. And now you, you're, you're getting this tiling stuff that's falling on your head because they had to tear apart the roof. And the roof is made up of all kinds of straw and stuff. So that stuff has to be falling on their head. And now they're pushing somebody in front of where you stood online. Think, if you're at Disney World and you got online and somebody just gets in front of you, you're not too happy about that, you know? And so I got a feeling that people then weren't really too pleased with what was going on. And the people who were lowering the paralyzed man, do they absolutely know Jesus is going to heal them? They don't know that. They, their faith is very strong. They're... they're, they're showing their faith, all right? And Jesus did remark later on, you know, 
about their faith. But it's, it's really something that when you are very, very desperate to, to hear God, to see God, to, to get before God, you do desperate things. How desperate are we to hear from God? How desperate are we to get with God? Okay, when we look at that example, you know, here we see a healing. And a lot of times we look at this as, you know, this is Jesus healing. But sometimes we don't look behind what came behind that. And, and that's the, the desperation, but the great faith that somebody had with, with that. Let's go to um, chapter 8 in Luke. And verse 40. And so it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his home. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. So here we have, here's another man who is uh, a ruler of the synagogue, okay? Cast aside his pride, came came and begged Jesus to come to his house. Now, that's not an easy thing for a ruler of a synagogue because the synagogue were full of people that really didn't believe in Jesus. Matter of fact, there were a lot of Pharisees and rulers in the synagogues that wanted to kill Jesus. So here, again... Somebody who is desperate and in desperation came and begged Jesus to come. And we know as, as you go on reading that Jesus did heal uh, Jairus' uh, daughter. And then let's continue reading. Because another instance happens within this miracle. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng you and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out of me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It's a great story, but it's a great story of her faith. Okay, and the desperation that she had 18 years, 18 years going to doctors. She had spent all her money. Okay, in desperation, she came to Jesus again. Another example for us, okay, of how desperate we need to be for Jesus. Sometimes things are not going to come, not going to happen unless we are desperate for him. Let's go to uh, 18, chapter 18 in Luke. And we're going to go to verse 35. 
It's the story of blind Bartimaeus. You're not actually going to hear his name in this, but in another chapter, uh, he's named. It says, Then it happened, as he was coming near Jericho, that's Jesus, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging, and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out, saying, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. Notice, he didn't be, he wasn't quiet. (laughs) He says, but he cried out all the more. In other words, louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. Again, here's the desperation of a man. Okay? But he is, he's, in, in that desperation, he is not going to be uh, uh, worry about his pride at this point. He is going to make sure that Jesus hears him. That's the desperation of it. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? It's funny that Jesus asked that question. I mean, Jesus knows what he wants. He's a blind man. You know, asking him, but, and Jesus knows, but I think Jesus wants him to say that. He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Okay? In that desperation, his faith is strong. You know, it, it's so easy for our pride to get in the way of our faith. Because we, we're concerned about, well, what will people think? If we scream out to Jesus or if we lower somebody in a basket in front of God or whatever it, whatever it is that we feel God's pushing us to do, sometimes our pride holds us back. And then we don't want to. We're not desperate enough for him. In the Old Testament, there was a man who was desperate for him. And I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 32. And we're going to start in verse 26. Actually, a little bit before that. Um, Let's start in 24. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip, hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Okay. Jacob would not let God go until God blessed him. Okay. A man desperate for God. All right. And an example for us that we really need to be desperate for God. I'm thinking in terms of um, being in a desert. And in the desert, okay, we've not had water for three or four days. And we are just in a position where uh, if we don't get water very, very soon, we're going to die. And think of how desperately we would be looking for that water. I mean, we're not going to sit around 
feeling sorry for ourselves. Okay? We're going to be searching and searching and searching. And this is the attitude that we need to have. This is the desperation that we need to have. If we can think of ourselves in that situation and how desperately we need that water to keep ourselves alive, okay? Think of how much even more desperately we will need uh, God and, and what we need to do to get to that, to that point. I just want to read one of the uh, couple of verses from a psalm, and we're going to go to Psalm 22. And here's David saying this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Do you ever feel that way? You're praying and God doesn't seem to be answered. You're praying for something for not only hours or days, but weeks, months, maybe years. Okay? And you're thinking, you know, why? And David says, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. In the night season, and I'm not silent, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. Okay? So this is what we need to be doing, to, to be trusting that God, in our desperation will hear us in, in anything that we're talking about. Because I know a lot of times we're praying for healing. And healing, you know, it's a, it's a big thing in our lives because we want to be healthy. Okay? And, that's, and, th- and ironically, this is what God wants. But sometimes he wants us to, to be desperate for that. So as we uh, close up, um, what I'd like to do is just to take a few minutes of time by ourselves to just kind of process this, to kind of dwell on it a little bit. Where does God want us in this? And if you feel like you need to pray with somebody over that, you know, then just go ahead and do that. If you feel that you just need a little bit of time to pray on your own uh, to the Lord, then, then that's fine also. But whenever you feel like you're finished, You're dismissed, okay? Because I'm finished.